Okie dokie, oh. a podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we are talking about the Gospels. This is Gospels Part 123. We are still within the climactic final days of Jesus' life. We had just come out of a series of episodes where Jesus and his disciples were doing the quote-unquote Last Supper, this Passover Seder, and Jesus is talking now in a section of John that we went through last week where he is saying that the Son of Man is going to be glorified, God's going to be glorified through him, this work of suffering, death, and resurrection that's coming. Yeah. He's reminding his disciples that he's only going to be with them a little while longer and where he's going, they can't come. Yeah. We spent a considerable amount of time going through a discourse of this statement that Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you to love one another. And from a classic Western evangelical approach, it may seem like Jesus is throwing away the classic interpretation and relationship of Torah and the law, but we argue that that is 100% not the case. And in the same way that other rabbis try to add more detail to the law, adding fences around the law to be able to give you more opportunities to fulfill it and pursue that righteousness. Jesus is doing the same thing here by saying, in the same way that I have loved you, look at my life, look at the way that I have performed self-sacrifice, denying myself, denying my life. You should do that to one another, yeah. uh, particularly among those who are also like on God's team, like build them up too so that we can continue to be more of the body of God within the earth. Yeah. And um, we ended with Jesus and Simon Peter having another interaction. Peter's wanting to figure out, like, where are you going? Like, I want to go with you. And <laughs> right, Jesus is like, dude, not only can you not go where I'm going, like, again, you're going to, de- to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Yeah. We love Peter. Uh, And actually, you know, to turn that phrase around, to actually try to put too fine a point on it, Jesus loved them by fulfilling Torah. Mm. Therefore, when he commands them to love one another as he loved them, I mean, it's a sideways way of saying, do Torah better. Do it the way I did it. I showed you. So it's good. All right, so we're continuing in John. I'm going to be saying that, I think, for a number of episodes. Uh, But let's keep going. We're looking at John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, 
we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Thank you, John. All right. (laughs) So, uh, on one hand, I think we could say, look, Jesus can see... I don't know, the sorrow, the confusion, et cetera, on their faces. He's, he's, he's telling them, you know what? You don't need to be troubled. Why? Because God can be trusted. Jesus can be trusted. Everything that is happening is God being faithful. Just as Israel proved their faith by believing in Moses, and this is, you know, like back in the Exodus Sinai story, right? They, they were afraid of God and all that kind of stuff, but they, you know, the, Moses, they believed in Moses as God's representative, and that worked out. God kind of, he, he kind of went with that. Well, in the same way, they should believe in Jesus. He is the second Moses. So it's, it, it's it, you can kind of see where the, the, the words are heading in that. Anyway, Now, he does, though, get to this next thing. In my father's house are many rooms. So, there's a couple of ways that we can look at this, Samuel. On one hand, this statement could be applied to the existing temple complex. Okay, we're familiar with, like, you know, the outer court, the holy place, and then, like, the holy of holies, that kind of stuff. But there's an entire complex there. And so, it could be that Jesus is using that imagery, because, you know, that's easy. They can relate to that. Um, however, his point is about, you know, the family. His, they, they are his brethren. Uh, you could say that this is, like, different than the temple. This is the building of God. They are those that make up his house. That's also a really good one. I kind of favor that one. In first century Israel, here's, like, the, the important imagery for us, I think, Many individual family units, and of course, they're all related. So imagine, Samuel, that if we were in first century Israel, instead of us living a couple of hours apart, we'd probably all be living in the same single house, except that I would sort of have my own room or area. You and and your family, you would have your own room and area. And then we may also have some common areas, maybe where we cooked and eat and, you know, things, things of that nature. So when he says, I've gone to build a, in my father's house, there are many rooms. That's like saying, hey, we're all going to be in this thing together. That's the, the imagery. And then he says that he's going to prepare a place. And again, I think, you know, we got possibilities here. First, uh, you, we might think of actual places. Like I go to prepare a place. Well, maybe he's preparing the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem and the new temple. And I mean, he just told them that they were going to be on thrones. Maybe he's actually preparing their thrones. He He's a carpenter after all, right? Okay, so that's one way that you could look at it. And then a second way you could look at it is instead of actual places, we might think of, I don't know, missional accomplishments. 
And, and that is like the work of the high priest in the heavenly temple. That's a thing that Jesus is going to go do. He's preparing uh, a place for us by doing that work. He's, he's taking his seat at the right hand. So in a sense, he is uh, assuming the role that humanity was intended for. I mean, it, it seems a little, a little elevated, but you get the idea of ruling alongside God. And, right? So those kind of missional accomplishments that actually are being built, if you will, for our sake. So cool, cool statements, but, but, you know, they leave open to various interpretations, so it's hard to know exactly what he's saying. He continues, I will come again. Now, I mean, I, I guess there's more than one way to look at this, but where we sit in history, I think it seems most obvious that we need to be looking at his second coming, his return, his his uh, when he comes to rule as a king over Jerusalem and the rest of the world. I think he's plainly talking about that. Now, and again, think about it from their perspective. What do they always want him to be as Messiah, Samuel? They don't want him to be the suffering Messiah. They want him to what? They want him to conquer as a king. Yeah, and so, I mean, that's what he's going to do here. I will come again, and that, that's kind of what he's referring to. And, and notice what he says. He will come again and will take you to myself. Okay, when we think about the sequence and the story and all the different piece parts, this makes the most sense as the in-gathering. And we even talked about when a couple of different times we've talked about rapture. A lot of people talk about a rapture. You know, if you want to call it that, but you want to look at it through the lens of in-gathering, that's fantastic. <laughs> but if you think it's a rapture, like everybody goes away to heaven and all that, it, doesn't, it just doesn't really fit the story. It's just doesn't make any sense. So he will take them to himself. That's kind of like the end gathering. And where are we gathered to, Samuel? Going to be going to where Jesus is going to be ruling from, and that's Jerusalem. Exactly. Yeah. They will be there together. And to whatever extent we may be included, we will be there together. And that's always a confusing little thing about the kingdom. Is everyone who attains eternal life, is everyone going to be in the kingdom? Or is there something special and exclusive about the kingdom? I, I don't know. It's, it's, I don't think there's enough in Scripture to tell us without question. So, I mean, you know, it's weird stuff. So, Paul, before you move on, yeah. um, I'm pretty sure we've talked about this in previous episodes before, but I'm just getting this crazy, patriarchal, ancient, Middle Eastern bridegroom slash bride relationship here in the words that Jesus is saying when he says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Like in Jewish culture, the bridegroom would travel back to his father's house and build on to the existing structure to prepare his home for his new wife. And the role of the wife and her family was to be ready for the day that the bridegroom would return. And it's like, it's time to celebrate like we're getting married now. Um, yeah. So there, in my opinion, there has to be some connections here to that. Uh, oh, yeah. Custom. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, glad you brought it up. I mean, in a way, I think in my mind when I was, you know, sort of going through my study, I had that in my head, but I didn't say it out loud. So it's good you did. Yeah, we need to, we need to keep saying those things so people remember and engage. 
So yeah, so so Jesus is talking about all this stuff, and I mean, you know, on one hand, it sounds like really good news, but on the other hand, you could at least imagine how his disciples still might have been a little bit confused or something. So Thomas speaks out. We, you know, we still don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? That's a very human and relatable response. And Jesus declares that he is the way. And, okay, side note, remember how when we go through John, we're looking at a series of I am statements, and people count them different ways, but we've said that there are, we're we're counting them as 10 of them. Well, this is number eight of 10. Jesus declares, I am the way. Now, what what does that mean, I am the way? Well, he is the way to God, right? Back at the beginning, God has been Mm, what's a nice word, removed or concealed or hidden or something. But Jesus is the way back to God. Remember that the whole big story is that God wants to dwell with man in creation. And so he's the way back to God. He's the way to life. All of humanity is on a path, a road to death. But Jesus has changed that. There's nothing that we can do that's going to change that. Jesus, God, they worked that out. So he is the way, and he's the way back to the proverbial Eden. I mean, we're not really going back to Genesis 2 and 3 or whatever, but but Eden. We're going back to, and and what are some other words? Paradise or heaven or this or that. But, But in the big story, it's like the way back to Eden. Why do I say that? Because in Eden was a special tree, Sam. Do you remember what it was called? The good one? Um, the tree of life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, there were two special trees. <laughs> but yeah, the tree of life. And at the end, of, and, and I can't even remember what I put Genesis 3.24 in there for. I can't remember if it's pointing to something about the tree or something about when they uh, get booted out. But remember, I, I'm bringing up Eden because they were kicked out and the way was blocked. There were cherubim. There was a flaming sword. You couldn't find your way back into Eden and the tree of life. Jesus is that way. That's awesome, right? Super awesome picture. And Jesus declares that he's the truth. And this relates to uh, like from a, okay, let's go back to Judaism. They had the saying, the seal of God is truth. Well, Jesus then is the seal of God, the thing that represents his authentic self. You know, you're guaranteed that this is, you know, whatever is packaged up in the life of Jesus, you know that it comes from God. It has his seal on it, right? He's steadfast. He is constant. He is faithful. He is Jesus himself, his life. He is an accurate revelation of God. That's just amazing and awesome. But, side note, humanity is supposed to be that. I'm just throwing that in there. Jesus declares that he's the life, like the, the, like the gift of eternal life, and uh, he's a, a living, breathing, walking example of it. And he is one that, <laughs> that we are to imitate so that we may have it too. They should imitate it, so they should have it too, right? All of us. It's, it's all of it. And then... He adds, okay, and and there's no other way. 
to God. He, he's all of these things, and you can't have any of this except through him, Jesus himself. It's kind of a, well, it's kind of a two-sided coin, which, you know, I wrote a note to myself, aren't they all two-sided coins, Samuel? But anyway, on one side, Jesus is the one that has accomplished the work. God's faithfulness to redeem his creation, not just humanity, but all of creation, has been worked out through him, through Jesus. It is finished. And we must believe that, trust that. That is sort of the faith side of the coin. And on the other side, we must live by his example. That is the faithfulness side of the coin. So when it says, except through me, that is faith in him and faithfulness to him. To obtain that life that's already been won, we must have faith in God and be faithful to God like Jesus was. We must be steadfast, constant, loyal, like Jesus was, so that we are recognized as sheep instead of goats, wheat instead of tares, etc. So, People accuse me occasionally of seeing too much in the scriptures, but I don't know, Sam, I just feel like it's so rich and so good. It's, it's, it, it, I'm not even done. There's more. There wasn't something new or different. Jesus wasn't changing how to be saved. It wasn't as if there was one way for Abraham, Joseph, Moses, David, etc. And now there's a different way for everyone after Jesus. That doesn't make sense. God doesn't change. The way of salvation has never changed. There was only ever one way. And remember, John told us at the beginning of his gospel, Jesus is the Word made flesh. The Word, and we talked about it, it it came, it was uh, manifest in creation in a number of various ways. We talked about it as that primordial light in Genesis 1. We talked about it as the glory in the temple. We talked about it as the Torah. And then we talked about it as Jesus. And that's probably not even the exhaustive list, but you get the idea. The light that enlightens every man. And what's important here, if you think about this, Jesus' statement here is actually more inclusive than it is exclusive. A lot of times people say, oh yeah, so the only way to God is through Jesus. So all the other religions are wrong. You know, you guys are so exclusive. Actually, what Jesus is doing and the way he's describing, it's actually way more inclusive than exclusive. But, you know, I guess it's point of view. Anyway, last thing I want to say, Jesus wraps up with this awesome statement, but I don't know, my opinion, the English translations kind of ruin it. The text is... It's more direct or personal to Thomas, and I don't know, the the translation, it comes across as kind of a downer, like, if you had known me, or then you would have known my father, right? But but it's, it's like this. It could also read simply this way. If you have known me you will know my father also. Now, my opinion, that makes way more sense. And, bonus, the point is much more universal. To know, and, you know, that Hebrew, to know intimately, thoroughly, to know Jesus 
is to know the Father. And from now on, and that's also a weird translation, it really should be something along the lines of certainly now. So here's what I, I, I had to do this, Samuel. I'm, if this is a better version of verse 7, <laughs> take that with a grain of salt, but whatever. Here's how I think it should be read and, and what is being communicated. If you have known me, you will know my Father also. Certainly, even now, you do know him and have seen him. And of course, that is in or through or by Jesus. And, and you know, it's all good stuff. And I think, Samuel, as we continue, it's only going to get better. So I'm going to stop talking so that we can at least make some progress and you can have some room. <laughs> Yeah, that's, man, that, this statement that I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. I have had several heated conversations, debates, maybe even arguments with people uh, (laughs) since I have been walking this new path of trying to reclaim the Jewish nature of the scriptures where people are saying that, you know, this this is proof text right here that it only only through a profession of faith in Christ as one's savior can give someone access to salvation and i've tried to you know bring up questions to people like well what about all of the obedient and like you said the obedient faithful people pre jesus who all, all they had was torah the law and they were doing their best to, like you said, to have trust and have faith in God and be faithful to him. Um, and then you've got, you know, very weird anomalies where it's like unreached people throughout the world who never got the the gift of being able to hear the Israel-centric story of God. And, yeah. you know, you have that nature of, like in Genesis, the Noahide laws of leaning into your image-bearing aspect of your identity, and God takes into account that. Like, it, from my perspective, it feels, and it, I know it sounds controversial, much more gray, just in terms of God God being a truer judge than saying it's only this very narrow, specific path and circumstance, and if it's not that, you're out, buddy. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. God takes into account the heart of man and his inclination to recognize a creator and like emulate him. Yeah, the the sad thing to me is that I think we've turned believing in Jesus into something magical, kind of like believing in Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. And so, in fact, there's a, a phrase from a TV show where it talks about the church being a sea of gullibility and magical thought. And, you know, obviously they weren't a fan of the church, the the person in the series that said this, but you know what? A lot of truth to that. Mm. And so believing, you know, it can't just be that magical, oh, I believe, so I get to go to heaven. That is is a dangerous, dangerous story. Not good. So. Yeah, and what I just thought you could you can throw in another example the the we may talk about it later down the road on the podcast, but this 
dynamic of God somehow uh, sovereignly hardening Israel to like failing to recognize Jesus as the Messiah in order yeah. for the rest of the world to have time to accept the good news. Like you're so you're saying that God's going to punish people he intentionally hardened like <laughs> that it just doesn't make sense yeah things get odd and weird the the further you take that down so yeah you're right samuel it's good it's good it's a very difficult thing people confuse see they i think there are still many people who were, will hear the kind of things that we say and in their mind they go ah your your works you, you know salvation by works or you know it's like you are adding something to what God did or whatever. And, you know, we would argue back, no. These things that we're doing, they are merely for identification. That's my favorite way to say it, because I can't think of a better way yet. It's the idea of how do you know the difference between a sheep and a goat? Well, this one has all of the appearance of a sheep, (laughs) right? Does that save you? No, it identifies you as a sheep. You know what I'm saying? And I get it's really hard to hear, but whatever. If you if you hate it, hate it, hate it, I guess you can go somewhere else. But we really <laughs> think that we're offering something that's very important for Christians to hear. Just, you know, you have a role. So step up and mm-hmm. and be loyal, right? Why does it have to be so easy? Oh, I believe I'm in. Hey, how about you actually make some effort toward God. Is that really a bad thing? It's, it's, I don't know. It's very hard. Anyway, should we go on or you got more? Oh, I think going on sounds good. All right. Well, Philip, you know, he tries to really get what Jesus is talking about. So let's read and see how he does. This is John chapter 14, verses 8 through 11. Philip said to him, Lord, Show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Oh, Samuel, is this not a crazy moment Mm. where you almost feel the frustration of Jesus in his own, like the, the, the 12, the closest ones. So, but let's go back. Let's let's just try try and walk our way through. Philip speaks out, Hey, just show us the father, Jesus. That's all we need. And, and you can imagine that, that Philip, you know, he's looking for some sort of, I didn't know what else to call it. Mystical revelation, maybe, or something like that. I don't know. And and maybe we might even go back and picture when Genesis, uh, I'm sorry, when Genesis, when Moses wanted to see God's glory, which was, I don't know, back in like Exodus 33, 18, I've got a little note here, hopefully that's what that's about, seeing God's glory, 
Philip, uh, to be fair, he wasn't being daft. <laughs> He's probably being quite literal. He's sincerely trying to grasp what it is that Jesus is saying. And, I mean, come on, Samuel, is it not pretty incredible to say, hey, take a look at this human right here, and you've seen God? I mean, wasn't that the whole point of God's plan in the beginning? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, that is a good point, yeah. But, I, I'm, I'm trying to give these these disciples, Philip particularly, the benefit of the doubt just to say, right, wait, you're telling me, look at a human, and I've somehow seen God, this transcendent God who, who can't even, like, fully enter creation because okay. creation is, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's just, it's a big deal, and Jesus is asking them to, to take it, to, to, to believe it. It's a hard thing. I mean, your point is really good. I mean, I got to give you credit for that one. But, uh, you know, it, it's got to be hard. And in this, Jesus, I mean, he's he doesn't appear, at the very least, he's not amused. Shall we say that? <laughs> and so he responds, how can you say that? I mean, we've been living life together all this time. You really don't even know me? And he says it again. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And I know, Samuel, that I bet in your brain you did the same thing I did. Remember the story about Abraham and Isaac mm-hmm. and how much Isaac resembled Abraham? So much so that people continually got them confused. Yeah. Even after Abraham died, whenever Isaac was out in public, they thought that Abraham was back from the dead. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that is real. And, and Samuel, have you ever seen a father and son that's like, oh, my gosh, mm-hmm. they look so much alike. And it isn't just their appearance, mannerisms, the way they talk. I mean, so much about them. And I don't know, the way they tell the story, Abraham and Isaac were even probably more alike than anything we've ever seen. Right. But whatever. Of course, see what Jesus, how do I say this? He doesn't mean if you've seen me with your eyes. Of course, he doesn't mean that alone. That, that's an important aspect of it, I'm sure. But remember, God's invisible. And, and Jesus, I mean, he's a fleshly human, so whatever. He means, if you've seen who I am, the character, literally, his truth, he was the living, breathing Torah in their midst. God is unseeable, but Jesus is not. And he is a perfect representation of God. So, I don't know, super, super cool thing. Now, he presses Philip, I think, uh, even more. Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father in me? And then he points to two things that Philip should have seen. I guess this is how Philip should have recognized that that statement was true. Number one, Jesus's words. They were, number one, spoken in God's authority, but for any true seeker, they should have recognized that they were, in fact, God's words. At least that's how we would say it. And then number two, Jesus's works. And again, it's kind of the same story. They were, in fact, the works of God. And and we've also talked about this. God was dwelling in him, you know, like in the Holy Spirit. 
Now, these works certainly may have included some of the things that Jesus has, has done, like the, the signs and the miracles, etc., all that stuff. But that doesn't even have to be the focal point of what Jesus was talking about. I mean, for what it's worth, even those signs revealed God's character. But the real works in view here are the true end goal of Torah. And that would have included, what do we say all the time, Samuel? Justice, mercy, Mm -hmm. humility, etc. All of that. So have you not seen his works and and that's the justice, mercy, humility. And boy, if that wasn't enough for you, even the signs and miracles. But Jesus adds one more bit. You should believe me. I am in the Father. The Father is in me. And then, again, not just like the physical appearance of Isaac and, and Abraham, and, and not just repeating words like Moses would have done, but the Father is. Uh, is in him and he is in the Father. You should believe because you have lived with me for these past few years. And if that didn't do it for you, you should, at the very least, believe the works themselves. The works are a manifestation of the Father. And you might say, you know, the the Spirit, right? You You have seen true justice, true mercy, true humility, and you might even have seen some signs and miracles, whatever. You know what? If somehow hanging out with me for the last few years wasn't enough for you, at least you can look at those things and believe that. So, I, I don't know, Samuel. I This is good stuff. Mm-hmm. 100%. It's, I wrestle with this, with sections like this, not in the way that you may think, I guess I wrestle with when people take the dynamics that Jesus is mentioning in sections like this and then rip it out of context to try to apply it to themselves as a follower of Jesus now. Like um, this, the verse that you said, uh, verse 10, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. And what I mean by that is, you know, I I hear within classic evangelical Western thinking that, you know, the depravity of man is so bad that whenever someone becomes a follower of Christ, that any good that you see in that person's life, you know, it's not of their own accord. Like, that's God doing every single bit of good in that person's life and yeah that's just i push back on that because you know within traditional jewish thought you have these two competing natures within yourself as a human being you have a good inclination and an evil inclination and it's it's a battle on which one is going to be master in your life and so like in in this case like jesus is bringing this up to say that it's it's all about authority of uh, who it is he comes from in order to point his disciples, the people of Israel, to his authority as the Messiah. But then we take it like in common 
church thought we take it to be something completely different. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that takes us out in left field to something different, but I don't know if what I brought up made sense at all um, or adds to the discussion. Yeah, well, it's uh, one thing, and you're right. It's it's there is. I mean, let's just say it this way: there is great division between how people see all of this working out in humanity. And you're right. We, I think for us, we would look at it and and we see, well, number one, the beauty, and, and then I think we would go further and say the necessity that the response needs to come from humanity, right? We would look at it and say, well, if it's, if, if we were completely un- incapable of everything and everything has to come from God, for us, it feels like it ruins the story. It, 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 we have to, and, and uh, uh, by all means, do we believe that God is every bit involved in helping us along the way in, in every possible way? Yeah, 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 for sure. But that, that he, we look at it as you know, part of that whole idea of free will— is, yeah, I am free to choose him or me, his will or my will, or, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and it gets very complicated how that all goes about. But, yeah, I mean, I think I hear what you're saying, and, and all I can really do, I mean, obviously, we're kind of in the same mindset, whatever, and I just go, yeah, that is hard to hear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You know>? yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Uh, anything else? No, I mean, I just was thinking of, you know, since Jesus brings up this aspect of God being father, father, son relationship and dynamic, yeah. I'm thinking about, I mean, of course I'm not a father, but um, when I'm thinking objectively, like the goal of a father isn't to do all of the things in a, his son's life for him. Like right. his his goal is to teach him encourage him come alongside him to be able to empower him to be able to live his own life um make his own choices and hopefully they're they're good and they're emulating the the good qualities that the father is trying to set an example for so in the same way like that's what god wants for us he he wants our lives to be changed and he he doesn't want to do it all for us. He wants to give us the power to be able to live out the spirit of the law within our lives. Yeah, yeah. In a sense, as parents, we want our children to be some form of image of us. We want to instill in them all of the goodness that we know, and and we want them to go on and do it or be it. You know, same kind of thing. So, yeah, it's it's great imagery, Samuel. It's good stuff. I don't know. Anything else? Nope. Let's, let's keep going. Let's see what John's got to say now. Of course, it's Jesus talking. We should give him credit. Uh, anyway, this is John uh, chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. 
Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Can you hear the trouble we're going to have with this one, Samuel? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's get to it, though. Hold on to your butts. That's right. It's another one of those. So, uh, you know, he begins with truly, truly, and we've talked about this. You can trust what he's about to say. And then, you know, remember way back, Samuel, we talked about how, you know, it's a funny thing about when Jesus says truly, truly, you can't always tell. Is he talking about what he just said or what he's about to say? <gasps> or both. Right? And that, I mean, we forgot to say that lately, but you know, that's a thing. It's, it's still there. Now, if you believe in Jesus, truly believe, here's the kicker, you will do the works he did. There's no getting around it. Now, Samuel, you were just talking about this. Uh, well, not really. We took a slightly different tack, but you will do the works he did. You must live up to Torah's standards. Now, okay, for Gentiles, not as law. If you're Jewish, okay, you do have covenant, whatever you got to keep. But even for Jews, for all of us, it's, it's as I, I called it an unnatural byproduct. <laughs> you know, it's like the work of the Spirit. The, the point I'm getting to, though, is that whether Jew or Gentile or whatever, the Torah standards are that you will bring true justice and mercy, humility, charity, etc., all of those things we talk about, to the world. And I don't know, in your life, is it possible that you could be, you know, like the conduit of some sort of sign or miracle too? Okay, sure, maybe, I even hope so. But you must see how those things, as exciting they would, as exciting they may seem to us, they pale in comparison to the good stuff, the justice, mercy, etc. But the point is, if you truly believe, you're going to be doing the stuff that he did. Everybody has to come to grips with that. It's not just a matter of, yeah, I believe, I'm good. It's not just mental assent. That just doesn't fit the story. But Jesus wasn't done. In fact, a true believer won't just do the same works. <gasps> He's going to do greater works. How can this be? Well, I'm going to go to a graveyard and resurrect everybody or, you know, I'm saying, no, no. Listen, first, under normal circumstances, a human, you know what? They're going to be born, they're going to live, and they're going to live a full life. Well, Jesus' life was cut short. He was only in his 30s, right? You have more time then, at least in theory, you can do more. So that's one point. Second, because Jesus, our, and people call it different words here, advocate, mediator, whatever, he's going to be with the Father. Well, how does that help us? Well, he's going to be, you know, quote-unquote, supporting us from heaven, if you will. It's, it's, <laughs> it's kind of like having a parent in the bleachers, Samuel. You're up to bat, except... This is better. This parent might actually have some influence over that baseball or maybe the bat or <laughs> I don't know, something. Use you the just, fool's father. That's right. You just might get that home run, right? 
anyway, the third, so uh, there are there are many more of us. How many of there were how many were there of Jesus, Samuel? Uh, one. Yep, that's right. I know I confused you because it's a weird answer. There was only one of him. It was in one place and it was at one time. There are many of us and we're everywhere and we span time. Of course, we are going to do greater. We, as his body, should be able to accomplish and do far more than he did in his short time here on earth, especially his short time, you know, like his ministry, right? It's just a few years. So, so that's a thing. Now, is it possible that somebody could do some crazy, awesome miracles at some point in history? Sure. I'm not discounting those things. They're just not the norm. They're just not. And I know some people act like they are, but they're not. So let's notice, though, that Jesus, uh, this next little part, so important. Jesus isn't promising to do whatever you ask, any old thing you ask. Notice the words. It's whatever you ask in his name or anything you ask in his name. So understand this. It is for the sake of his name. It must in some way be in agreement with his already good name, right? Yeah, and, and if you want to take it further, this is more, you know, Paul trying to do his own translation. It's something more like, if you ask me anything that is in line with my character, my nature, who I really am, ah, I'll do that. It has to be something that leads to the Father being glorified in the Son. And some might even go so far as to say it's something for which Jesus, God, whatever, like pretty much ultimately get the credit, not you. Can you and give so, a practical example? Like if, if, if you were ask, like if you were in the situation asking something, I'm just trying to get an image in my head of what that could look like in day-to-day life. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know, Samuel. It's, it's got to be, you know, like uh, Kim and I, every night in bed, we, are, we uh, have our little time together where we pray for other people. And includes so many different things, whether it might be uh, some people needing uh, healing in their lives, uh, some people needing uh, maybe salvation, you know, things like that. Uh, there's another one. It wasn't, it wasn't that long ago. I was introduced to something that I just fell in love with. It's a portion of what's called the bedtime Shema. And it's so great because it, you're asking God, well, let me rephrase that. First of all, you are literally and intentionally forgi- forgiving everyone, anyone who has in some way sinned against you on that day. Like super awesome, right? And it's, it's whether they did it on purpose or not on purpose and all this stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's so beautiful, okay? But you're also asking that God would forgive them. And it does this cool thing right at the end where it says, you know, after asking all of those things, it says something to the effect of, 
may no one suffer or may no one be punished because of me. Okay, now think about what's being said there. On, on one hand, we really, really want God's justice to come to fruition. We look at things in the world, just, I mean, we live, if, you, if we live for a long time, we see a lot of stuff where you're just going, that is simply not just, I can't wait until God's true justice comes to pass. And in a way, that's, that's a way of helping us get along, except we're asking, God, don't even do true justice. We're asking you to, to prefer mercy over justice so that no one would suffer because of any way that they have sinned against me. That is an awesome and powerful, just beautiful prayer. Hmm. So I have to think, asking things like that, those are the kind of things that that they, you know, you ask it in Jesus' name, that is something that he will in fact do. He'll bring that about. Now, you may be hearing that and going, well, gosh, we went from anything to, you know, just like the most incredibly, you know, small and, and whatever. Uh, I get it, but Samuel, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know what are the things that Jesus is going to hear and go, yeah, that's totally in line with mayor character, and he will do that as opposed to not. And of course, it gets into the whole discussion of, well, I mean, how do we know that God has heard and he has answered and we're looking for a particular thing and we're not seeing the thing that we're looking for? Does that mean he didn't answer or do, do we not understand the big picture? And uh, Samuel, like, it's so complicated. This is just yeah. the genius part of my teaching and instruction, which is where I say, I don't know. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Do you have anything that you'd like to add there? No, I think your example is good and if I was going to say something, it would just be that that difficulty uh, of things not getting answered and wrestling with that. So, Yeah. Well, it goes back to that crazy church I used to go to a long, long time ago where the preacher would stand up and, I mean, he said some good things in the midst of all the crazy. One of them was, God is not a cosmic bellhop. He doesn't just do everything that you ask. And this is the example of that. He does what you ask that's in line with his name and character and et cetera, right? He gets the glory. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, it's good stuff. Well, one extra little bit here. In verse 14, it says, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Just to point this out, uh, the word me isn't in all of the manuscripts, but it's in the majority. So, you know, I would guess it's probably the most accurate translation, so I'm not pushing back against that in any way. However, it does raise, uh, I don't know, I think it's a good, important kind of general point. As a general rule, we should be praying to God, not Jesus. Now, mm. let me say this really quickly, okay? I'm not saying there's anything wrong anything bad about it. I'm not. But Jesus's example, what, the example we see in Scripture all through, understand that you have access to God the Father. And it, it is important in the same way that Jesus demonstrated 
praying to him specifically, that is a good thing for us as well. Now, aside from a stray verse like this one, you know, where it does use the word me, ask me anything. Okay, it's clear when the Gospels are taken as a whole, and I would say the Scriptures as a whole, that is the example that's being set. And and the reason I'm bringing up, it, it's, it's much more of a modern invention, this whole idea of praying to Jesus, you know, specifically or, or personally or whatever. And again, I'm not saying it's bad, but it just kind of further clouds that whole idea of, you know, Jesus is God, God is one, the Trinity and all that stuff, which... I don't disagree with any of those things either, but there there are distinct persons and there are distinct roles and and God is is like the head, the father, right? It's it's a thing. So let's just say this. Jesus was super careful to maintain a distinction between himself and the father. And this does not diminish his his divinity in any way or their unity or oneness in any way or the idea of the Trinity in any way, but as his behavior would suggest, those roles matter, and it's just one more way that we can or should imitate him. I hope no one felt offended by that. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, I, I don't know if this image is helpful or not, but, and I can't remember whether it's, this is being taken from Jewish sources or maybe classic Western evangelical sources, but it's actually something that I think has helped me. Like I've read some stuff and heard some lines and songs that refer to Jesus as almost like our, uh, like a sister or a brother spiritually and his, uh, like his, his goal coming alongside us is to help return that access to his father. I don't know. And it's like, to me, it's like, like you said, it. I'm, I'm bringing that up not to diminish his divinity, but to say that, oh, like when I'm praying, like because of the work that Jesus has done, like I should have this view of freedom to go to the the head of God because of Jesus's work and Jesus is alongside me in that as a mediator you know his merit is involved in that prayer being acceptable before God I don't know if that makes sense or not yeah and I mean you know there's the idea that he is the firstborn of many brethren at least that's what we all hope (laughs) Uh, so yeah I, I understand that imagery and yeah it's um well, think about the phrase, in his name. Samuel, if you went to, I don't know, some place where people are familiar with me, and you said, listen, Paul couldn't make it today. I am here in his place. I am here in his name. Well, it would be weird if I showed up and you said, Paul, I am here to speak to you now in Paul's name. <laughs> It's just, I mean, that's kind of, you know, circular, whatever. It's just weird. If you're going to go somewhere, anywhere in Jesus's name, like as we do on the earth among humans, well, there's there's kind of this practical sense of, look, if you're going to pray in his name, go in his name, would you be going directly to him for that? 
There's something a little odd about that as well. So, yeah, I know, Samuel, it's, uh, I don't know, it's all kind of weird stuff. And people, you know, people may hear something like that and they go, well, that's just your way. You know, I could do what I want. Yes, you can. I'm not telling anybody how to pray. I'm just saying, I think that there's something to the example we have. And a mm-hmm. lot of times it's in our benefit to, you know, take that as, as uh, meaningful. So yeah. that's all. Uh, anything else? Yeah, one other thing on that part, and then I've got a, another thing to bring up. It's like oh. if our if our if Jesus is our rabbi, and the the dynamic between a rabbi and his Talmud, Talmudim, his students, is to emulate the rabbi at, in as many possible ways that you can in your yeah. life. If you see Jesus praying to God the Father, then the way that that formula works within rabbinic discipleship is you copy that. You do the same thing that your rabbi is doing. So, like, I don't know if that simplifies it, but that takes away maybe a lot of the theological back and forth between different groups. Is like if you're just looking at classic rabbinic discipleship, whatever your, your rabbi is doing, you should be doing. Yeah. And he said, pray then in this way, our Father. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just a lot of stuff like that. That's just one example. But yeah. All right, yeah. what's your other thing? Um, this beginning part of verse 12 where you said, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And you had brought up that there's no getting around that, that we must live up to Torah standards. One of the things that I have thought about over the past few years that has helped me in my relationship with the Torah is whenever I read and look at the Gospels and all of the actions that Jesus was doing within his ministry, the text is, is I mean, a lot of times we're, we're seeing the end product of the fulfillment of a commandment that Jesus is, is carrying out. But if, if I'm wanting to think about getting inside the mind of Jesus, the why behind the things that he did in his life to promote justice and to promote mercy, forgiveness, healing, whatever. Jesus's overarching standard was the Torah. And if I, again, back to the emulation part, if I want to get into the mind of Jesus and understand the heart of God for why he was performing these commandments, then I should pursue the Torah and try to uncover those mysteries of what's at the nature and the heart of God of why he established these commandments for Jewish people to showcase his image to the nation and to the world. Um, I don't, I don't know if that makes sense at all. Yeah. Well, in your head, if you imagine that Jesus is going around being the best rule keeper that's ever been, and that that was his motivation, that's, that's so wrong. I mean, was he keeping rules? Uh, yeah. But his motivation was all about God's will, not my own, imaging the Father, you know, being truly human, the way, the way God created us to be, all that stuff. It just, it's such a different paradigm that it, uh, it's, sometimes it's difficult to even talk about them in the same you know, whatever. It makes the 
the relationship so much more dynamic and rich and deep. Yeah. Uh, another thing I was thinking of is like, I, people probably know Paul and I love Lord of the Rings and a lot of uh, all people around the world love Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings. And that love goes so far that they don't just stop in reading the three books, the Fellowship, the Two Towers, and the Return of the King. Their love for that universe that Tolkien created goes so far that they want to read all of his addendums or all of these secondary books about Middle right. Earth that, you know, lost tales of Middle Earth and learning about the languages that he created or the people groups. So it's like in the same way we should not be limited to just, you know, the gospels. If we love God and love his story, we should have that craving to want to dig into every possible nuance of the world and the story that has created and that that can be found in the Torah. Yeah. Yeah. In all of it. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, buddy. Read the Silmarillion and uh see how much you keep wanting to digging in keep wanting to dig in that's 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 a little tough reading right there but yeah it's well, so good. is leviticus but there's goodness in there too oh you know that's right yeah all right anything else samuel i think that's it well let's let these people get back to work <laughs> okie dokie thank you for listening to the okie dokie most podcast don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode and be sure to leave us a rating and a review to let us know how this content is impacting your life. You can find out more information about the podcast at www.okidokimos.com. And if you'd like to get a hold of us, please send us an email at okidokimos at gmail.com. Until next time, we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth. We'll talk to you again soon.